This in verse number 13, this is where we left off. He said, for, without, uh, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when we received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as it were the word of men, but it as in effect the truth, I'm excuse me, as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh in you that believe. Brother Sirk, you pray, would you, and ask the Lord to help us. Thank you. Have a seat. And while you're having a seat, let me uh, ask you to turn to Mark chapter number 7. And I'm going to give you a couple of illustrations to show you contrast. In the Bible, oftentimes the Lord uses like and as. Those are similitudes. He'll say, this is like that and this is like this. In other places, he uses contrast. He is a great uh, biblical uh, expositor in the fact that he knows how to get people's attention. Uh, and so what he'll say is, is that foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Uh, the Bible teaches you clearly that when it comes to that, he's saying those, those things have homes to lay in, but if you're going to follow me, you may not have a home. And so he'll use that all the way through that. And oftentimes he'll use light and darkness and he'll use black and white. He'll make it where you can easily see the picture. He doesn't leave it shaded. Now you want to watch out for preachers that don't make it definitive and they don't make it clear. And you're not really sure which side of the fence they're on. They, they, they tend to be one way one time and another way another time. You see that a lot in politicians. If you pay much attention to politicians at all, they're very succinct with their words. They're very, very well prepared and they're very well taught. They're very well trained to make sure that on both sides of the fence, if you listen the way that they know you're trained to listen, you will not hear where they contradict what you believe. You will only hear where they seem to agree with what you believe. And they're taught and trained how to do that. And they become professionals at that. And they can get up and talk. And after they're done, they haven't offended anybody whatsoever. In other words, they'll ask you, what do you think about, uh, about issues as far as same-sex marriage is concerned? And then the next thing you know, they'll be talking about, well, people have rights and people have understanding and certain people feel this way and feel that way. And before long, they've given you so much stuff, you don't even know what they believe about any of it. They haven't answered the question. And the reporter doesn't come back and say, sir, you didn't answer the question. Because now they're befuddled as to what in the world. Listen, when you're preaching from a Bible, the Bible's clear. Amen. It's like the old preacher that said to you, I mean the old uh, uh, politician that said, do you understand all of the Bible? Coolidge, I believe it was. Do you understand all of the Bible? No, I don't understand the Bible. But it's not the parts I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do. Amen. 
there's enough clear things in the Bible for any preacher to be able to preach a lifetime without having to worry about how many angels dance on the head of a pen or whether or not there's going to be make, somebody making umbrellas for the millennial reign. You need to recognize that all that deep stuff sometimes is just a cover for not giving you a straight answer. And in the Bible, Bible preaching is straightforward. Heaven or hell. You're either in or you're out. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him. Well, but preacher, do you think, and do you think it's possible that you could be, stop confusing me. Straight up, tell me exactly how it ought to be. People are dying and going to hell. People are all times worried about, uh, back when the first, uh, I guess it was Polish fellow that came, he became the Pope over that kind of stuff. And, and people were always worried about, well, why does he feel about this? And how does he feel about that? And uh, what happens if he dies? And in this and that and the other. Ladies and gentlemen, it makes no difference. And you probably think I'm being irreverent when I tell you this. But I don't care what that individual thinks about my relationship with Jesus Christ, he's sending people to hell. And it bothers me that that doesn't bother you. It bothers me that you don't recognize that a person's soul is worth a whole lot more than their, than their physical body. If that individual had that much power, and he does, and supposedly he's going to start his reign or be in his reign and whatever the Pope's name that's out there now, how about you using that ability to tell people to stop killing each other? I mean, people tell me all the time they're going to do whatever the Pope says to do. Okay, quit drinking. Come on, amen. I mean, if you got that much control over that many people in the entire world, hundreds of thousands and millions of people, why don't you use that platform to bring peace on earth and goodwill toward men? How come they never say any of that? If you got that kind of power to say that kind of a thing, why don't you set the world straight? Why, to hear you talk, you must have more power than the president. You must have more power than somebody that's got nuclear weapons at their disposal. You have the ability across all different nationalities and everywhere in the entire world, you have the ability to tell people what they should and shouldn't do and you claim you're the vicar of Christ and that people will do what you tell them to do. How about telling them to stop killing each other? How about telling them not to get divorced? How about telling them not to drink and to smoke and to cuss? How about telling them to learn to love one another? How about telling them to forgive? How about giving them the Bible? They don't ever do that. They tell you to confess and to believe and to do the rosary beads and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think if the Pope had an opportunity, he'd probably make a set of rosary beads for the Statue of Liberty. Probably have to make it out of bowling balls or something. But at any rate, if he could do that, you say, what? That stuff doesn't... Don't be offended now. I'm just getting started. That's funny. You can laugh about that. <laughs> Some of you get real worried about that kind of stuff. You know what? They, you worried all this other kind of stuff about when that guy who was Polish, when he died, you say, well, what happened if he died? Don't worry about it. They couldn't find a pole vault. The typical Christian nowadays, you know what you do? You hear him getting ready to read some big edict and different things like that. And how they're going to have the roll call and how they're going to call people. Welcome Walmart shoppers. That's what most people listen to nowadays. They don't listen to a bull. That's what they call it. A bull coming from a pope. A bull. That's what they call it. I'm not being, I'm, I, that's what they call it. I'm, you think I'm being sarcastic or you think I'm being crude. I'm not. That's what they call it. Well, why would I listen to somebody like that who has that kind of power and doesn't care whether or not I go to heaven or hell? Yeah. 
tell me that if I happen to go to purgatory, purgatory doesn't even exist and they have no authority. They're supposed to be the authority. Alright, well if you're the authority, why don't you change the world? I wish I had that kind of power. Why don't you get up on the television and bump everybody else off? You're in the Vatican. you got your own state. Why don't you get everybody in and tell them I want a special time. Give me one hour of prime time TV across the entire world. i got something to say. I mean, if you're the Pope, why not? They won't do it. You say, why? They won't give it to you like it's supposed to be straight. And ladies and gentlemen, I hate to tell you, that's not hate speech. That's hundreds of thousands of Roman Catholics going to die and go to hell because you don't care. Because you're worried about upsetting somebody and worried about the fact that you have the Bible. And you're right. That doesn't make you right and everybody else wrong. It makes the Bible right and them wrong. That means you care enough about them to tell them the truth. This is where that militant stuff gets kind of people get nervous about that. You don't have to be a jerk about it. But ladies and gentlemen, there is a right and a wrong. And their way is not the right way and Mary is not your way to heaven. You can make all kind of buddies and pals and friends with her all you want to. She can't get you there and she's not going to come up to Jesus on your behalf. And God knew that when he had the Bible written and he had the Holy Spirit pen in there. You have one mediator between God and man and it ain't Mary. And it's not Joseph or some other saint. It's the one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And so if that's the case, then I have to learn to accept those things. Let me show you this, what can happen if you're not careful. And this is what I'm talking about. Look in Mark chapter number 7. Mark chapter number 7, verse number 8. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, and washing of pots and cups, and many other like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God. Why? That ye may keep your own tradition. I'm going to hold on to church tradition over what the Bible says. Look again, if you will, in verse number 13. Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such things. You ever dealt with a Roman Catholic? Come to Mark chapter 4. You ever dealt with a real Roman Catholic? If you deal with a real Roman Catholic, they won't give you Bible for anything they talk about. They'll talk about all the things that they were taught during catechism class. They'll talk about all the traditions that are there. They'll talk about the Mass. They'll talk about Lent. They'll talk about the Lord's Supper. They call it the Eucharist. They'll talk about the wafer, the cookie, or whatever you want to call that. They'll talk about the wine that they drink and the fact that, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been 10 days since my last confession. And they won't give you Bible at all for any of that. And you're going to hang your hat on that? I mean, imagine this. You're going to trust your eternal forgiveness into a man wearing a shirt backwards. Dresses like a woman and calls himself a father. I mean, listen, ladies and gentlemen, can you blame people for being so twisted up in their head today when supposedly the spiritual leaders of the now known world, the enlightened individuals, are walking around in a dress and calling themselves father? And say, we can't be married and all that, but it's okay to molest children. Amen. Can I get a witness on that? And then you wonder why people are turning out the way they're turning out. Well, I'm just giving you the honest fact. I'm just telling you the truth. It's because they're away from the Bible. Why? So they can keep their tradition. Seventh-day Adventists, they keep it on a Saturday. They put you under the law. And if you don't do what the law says to do, then you're going to hell. And you're not one of the 144,000 male virgin Jews. You're not in the 144,000. The Mormons do the same thing. The Muslims do the same thing. Why? They don't have an authority. Amen. 
The issue is absolutely authority and it's no longer a preacher that will stand in the pulpit and preach to you what the Bible says. Now it's the think long and hard about, well, i got to think about how I'm going to put this across to make sure I don't upset anybody. Let me ask you a question. If the bridge is out, do you care how I tell you the bridge is out if it keeps you from going off the bridge? Do you care if I yell at you, if I tell you the bridge is out, if it keeps you from going off the bridge? Do you care if you listen to the tone of my voice and it wakes you out of that sleep you're in, you deadhead, and you all of a sudden wake up and realize, man, I'm going to wind up in hell if I don't change something. Do you care about the tone of my voice if it keeps you from going to hell? Why are you so worried about the tone of somebody's voice? To keep the tradition because church is supposed to be quiet. It ain't quiet around here on Sunday night. Sunday night's our favorite time. I mean, we have a hootenanny around here Sunday night. There's no telling what might happen on a Sunday night here. Sunday morning, it's very sophisticated and, you know, very sort of stuffed shirt. And we're, we don't raise our voice much above a whisper and that kind of... But Sunday night, it's home, folks. And if you happen to walk in visiting tonight, well, God bless you. <laughs> this, is the, this is the real us. And we're sitting around everywhere and before long somebody will holler or shout or somebody won't holler or shout. And maybe there'll be a few that will sleep because they've been in church all day. But we're glad that you're here. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to try to tell you that oftentimes the Bible is excused so you can hold on to something that has nothing to do with truth. It's just something you like. Well, I just like it like that. Well, is it biblical? Well, I don't know if it's biblical, but I like it. Well, let's just stick with what the Bible says. And if those things don't contradict what Paul says, you can maybe work them in there. But be real careful about religious traditions. I showed you that in Colossians. And if you were here any time when he filled in when I wasn't here, he went all the way through Colossians and he took you through all of that stuff. Those are things to get you off the main thing. Rudiments of the world and philosophies and philosophers and thoughts and ideas and then adding all these special things and taking all this stuff away. No, just stick with the Bible. You'll be fine. Now, look, if you will, please, in Mark chapter number 4. Be careful about holding on to your traditions. Preacher, we've just always, uh, you know, we, we do Halloween, but we just dress up like uh, um, uh, Bible characters. Bible characters can go to hell, too. I'm not going to encourage somebody to do something that's demonic by participating in their wicked holiday and by changing that and saying, well, I'm just going to go ahead for the sake of my grandkids or my kids. I know you. And I'm going to go ahead and do it because I'm not going to tell my family, no, I'm not doing that. It's Halloween. It's the devil's day. And I'm not going to celebrate that. Well, preacher, I just think you're a little legalistic. Do what you want to do, man. I've, listen, I've had every excuse I've ever heard in the world. I don't really uh, participate in it, preacher. All I do is I, I, I put my candy on a track and I pass it out that way. Oh, isn't that nice? You know what that is? That's a compromise. Why don't you turn the lights off and get you some popcorn and go back in the back room and spend some time with your wife or your husband, spend some time with your family instead of participating in the thing. Well, then what are the people in the neighborhood going to think? They're going to think that there's something wrong because you're not doing what they're doing. And they might say, why do you turn the lights off on Halloween? Because we don't participate. Well, why not? We don't worship the devil. Oh, that's ridiculous. It's just worship the devil. Yeah, worship the devil. I'm not going to be associated with that. You want to be associated with God bless your heart. But, you know, all of a sudden the candy goes up and the cavities go up and everything that goes with it and your kids are bouncing off the wall and you can't find enough medicine to tone them down at night and enough Benadryl to put them to sleep. 
Some of you are laughing. You know what I'm talking about. I know you are. You overdose your kids. Kids, I think the sniffles are coming on there. No, you're just tired of them bouncing off the walls. And then the next thing you know, they're watching horror movies and scary movies. And, and they're watching this and that and the other. And then you wonder why all the kids, they're having nightmares at night. You've opened a bunch of gates and stuff. See, I have more sense than you in some areas. And that's one of the areas. And I'll tell you why. I'm not spiritual. I'm afraid of that stuff. That stuff flips me out. You say, why? I believe it's real. I don't care what you think. I believe it's real. I don't, I don't, I don't like that stuff, man. I come in, turn on every light in the house, man. I don't, I don't like that stuff. Dark corners, dark closets. Uh-uh. Not me. You say, preacher, it don't bother me like that. Well, God bless you. You're probably dead spiritually anyway. I'll show you in Mark chapter 4 in just a minute. But my spidey senses tingle. Ain't that the guy that shoots a web or something like that? <laughs> shoots a web. Anyway, in that, that, there's something about that stuff that, 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 that trips my trigger. I, I know it's just not something I should be around. Now, you, well, preacher, you know, I, okay, well, do what you want. Go ahead and crack out your Ouija board and get your crystal ball and all that kind of stuff. I'll put you right in the same category as a witch at Endor. I'll get indoor to come along and be witched and she can twinkle her nose or whatever it is and call up all kind of spells and different things. Isn't that interesting? That woman uh, was called, uh, uh, let's see that thing. She had a goofy looking husband. Uh, uh, what's that? Bewitched. That woman that wiggled her nose and did spells. You know what her mama's name was? Endora. You know, in the Bible, the witch... Indoor, the witch of indoor. You think that's happenstance? No. Don't you know that woman's hair stood on end when all of a sudden this demon possessed looked like Samuel pops up there and that woman's like, don't you know that flipped her out? You talk about somebody turning her hair turning gray. Her hair turned white and near about fell out, man. When she saw that, she knew she didn't have that kind of power. You think the Lord's going to use a demonic entity like that to disturb Samuel? I know what they teach on it. You know what that is? That would be God doing something wrong to do something right. You say, what is that? That's a demon coming up. Who can shapeshift. Well, preacher, I just really think, okay, well, you think what you want to think. You can be wrong if you want to. That's okay. <laughs> we'll see when we get up there. But now think about this. The Lord allows a witch to disturb his prophet. You know, thought about that. Yeah, I don't think so. I know what they teach about it. I don't believe so, though. I don't think the Lord does something wrong to get a chance to do something right. He's not like we are. We justify a whole lot of things. Well, I know it's not really right, but it's a good chance to minister, to witness to somebody. We ain't having no Friday night lights here to get a chance to get the gospel out while we got a rock and roll show going on up here. And we ain't going to paint out, black out the new auditorium and make it all black and blue in there and have lights and all that kind of a deal. So when you walk in, you think you're in a movie theater. We're going to have pews and carpet and it'll look very similar to what you're sitting in now, only bigger. The ark will still be the same on the inside. Mark chapter number 4. Take your Bible now and look at this. I want you to see that this is an illustration. It's a type, a picture, a shadow of how things can be uh, as far as an illustration is concerned. Look at verse number uh, 14, 13. 
4.13. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will you know all parables? And the sower soweth the word. And these are they by, by, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that is sown where? So that means that by the time the devil gets in here, by the time the word is sown and it's down where it's supposed to be in your heart, it's still not protected if you don't protect it. Immediately, the Bible said, the devil comes in there. You say, how does that happen? It can happen all kind of ways, can it? One of the ways that thing can happen is, is that all of a sudden, somebody you don't care for walks in the back of the building the moment that you're all of a sudden the Lord's dealing with you. Somebody walks in the building and boy, your mind's off just like that. Just like that. And guess what happened? The word that you needed just got taken right out of your heart. You say, what can happen? Sometimes it can be bitterness or anger. Isn't it interesting? Sometimes you get ready to pray and you get down there to pray and some of the worst, filthiest thoughts you've ever had come in your mind. That ever happened? To Don't raise your hand. That ever happened to you? You say, why does that happen? Somebody's trying to interrupt the communication. Whenever there's battle going on, whenever you're fixing to do an operation, you know what you better do? You better start checking the comms right off the bat. You say, why? Invariably, if there's ever a time that it's going to go wrong, it'll go wrong when you open up that communication. You're getting ready to do a break and rake, man. You get everybody set in position. You got the perimeter set and so on and so forth. And you get ready to go and the green light gets ready to get hit and all of a sudden <laughs> comes across the comm line. What in the world's going on? Static. Interruption. How many times you've been around when that old preacher get ready to go to preach and all of a sudden for no, for an unexplicable reason, all of a sudden the communication goes out, the microphone goes out, the speakers start crackling, they begin to beep and they begin to make noises and things like that. You get through the whole service, you're thinking, man, that was a blessing. Hey, did you get that on tape? Well, I got it, but it's a wrap. I don't know what happened to it. It's not there. You say, what is that? That's the prince of the power of the air, snatching that thing away. You say, it doesn't happen. We're at a little place over here back off of Ricker Road years ago, and we're in that little old small place and a bunch of juveniles that are sitting there. And uh, the preacher said before he got up, he said, now you can watch for some distractions that happen with this message. Everywhere I preach this, there's always distractions. And I said, yes, sir. Okay, I understand. And they're all sitting out there scattered around pool table right here. And he's, I got the board set up here behind this and he's getting ready to draw and as soon as he got ready to draw sure as I'm standing here they turned the switch on and the telephone that's supposed to ring in the office starts ringing outside in the, where we're having the meeting and he just keeps right on going he doesn't even slow down he doesn't slow down he doesn't make notice of it or anything I'm talking about ringing loud out there and finally somebody kills that thing and he continues to draw for just a little while and these two ladies come in and they're back in the office and they step out into the area where we're at in the commonplace the, the commonplace where we're out there having the meeting and they begin to talk they sound like two stinking blue jays fighting over a worm back there yeah and then both of them got to talking at the same time I don't know how in the world they understood anything and he just kept right on drawing he kept right on drawing and he turned around like this and he started to draw that way and I don't know how it happened but that board fell off and fell right onto the pool table there made the loudest noise you ever heard and the, the easel fell over here to the side and he just reached down there and he motioned at me like that and I picked the board back up and he got the easel back up and he went right on to drawing the thing and then before we got to the end of that thing all of a sudden man the fire alarm goes off in the building I don't mean like an occasional whoop, whoop, not like that. I'm talking about, ah, 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 
the building evacuate the building. The lights are flashing. The exit signs are going off and that kind of a deal. He just keeps right on drawing to somebody. Then he comes out. Mr. Malik was that guy's name. He's a black fellow, real good man. And he comes out there. He said, preacher, I'm sorry. He said, don't worry about it, brother. Don't worry about it. No problem at all. And he kept, you say, what was that? There's a bunch of boys there that were lost and the devil was trying to take the word out before it got in their heart. A bunch of prisoners, a bunch of juvenile delinquents, and those guys that were in there, you had to have three felonies before you could qualify to be in that place. That's where we were at. Some bad kids sitting in there. And they're sitting out there and the worst of the whole thing and watching up there. And there's a half a dozen of those boys right on the front row and they're slid way down in their seats, man, and got their britches pulled down nearly to their knees. And they're sitting there and they're acting like they're asleep. And he just kept right on drawing. I'm mad, man. I'm thinking, man, at least thinking, wake up and listen to this old man. You at least be respectful, you know. He just kept right on drawing. Didn't pay any attention at all. We get done with that and half of those boys, three or four of those boys that were there and some other ones were there that acted like they were asleep, they got saved. And we walked out of that meeting, man, and I'm throwing stuff in the van and all that kind of a deal. And I said, what was that? He said, that's the devil trying to snatch the word away. And he said, the devil's greatest trick or one of the devil's greatest trick is, is to get you consumed with the distractions going on while you're preaching. He said, don't fall for that. He said, all that was with the devil because I'm preaching. He's preaching about the devil-possessed man of Gadarene. He couldn't have picked a better crowd to pick it on to, to preach about it because he said to those guys, some of you got messed up with the wrong crowd and some of you got in this and some of you got with that. I mean, he laid it on them. I mean, hard. But you know what he said? He said, opposition, opposition, opposition. Guess what happens? Whenever you have biblical preaching, you're going to have biblical opposition. Whenever you stand up for what the truth is, guess what's going to happen? You are going to have contradictions and you're going to have conflict. And you need to recognize that, that out in the world, everybody is not as interested as hearing what you have to say is what they care about in church. Thank God they want to hear from you in church and hear a good testimony. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Oh boy, as sure as God was good here. We had a good testimony deal here a couple of weeks ago, or I guess it was Wednesday night, whenever that was. But you know, we had a good time. But you go out in the world like that, you know what they do? They'll cuss at you. They'll scream at you. They'll call you all kind of names and stuff. That's what the Lord said to expect. The devil doing what? Snatch it away from you. Take it away from you. Come on down in the passage right there if you would please. Notice the Bible says, And these are likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately they receive it with gladness. Praise the Lord, preacher. Boy, that's good stuff. Hallelujah, man. That's right in the... Yeah, but hold on. Notice that that sentence ends right there with a semicolon. Do you see that? we got to continue it and have no root in themselves and so endure but for a time and afterward affliction and persecution arises for the word's sake and immediately they are the individuals that are there. Thank you. Appreciate that. They're over there. You know what? They're saying, boy, that's the truth. Boy, that's it. Boy, you're laying it down straight. You're doing the right thing. Hallelujah, boy. That's a real blessing. But then trouble and tribulation and problems come. Do you see it? Not in the church. After they heard the message. And then guess what happens? Immediately they're offended. You say, what happens to them? No root in them. The trouble came, the problems came, somebody sold them a bill of goods, they weren't prepared for it. What a preacher is supposed to do is prepare you for the opposition that comes when you stand for what's right to stand for. You don't have to be a jerk about it. You don't have to go pick a fight with somebody. You just stand up for what's right to stand up for and guess what's going to happen? The Bible says persecution comes. For what? The word's sake. 
And then guess what happens? You get offended because you're standing up for what's right. And the next thing you know, you're out. Watch it if you will please in verse number 18. These are they which are sown among the thorns and such as hear the word. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. We sure do appreciate it preacher. But the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things enter in and choke the word becometh what? Choke the what? The word. And it becomes what? Why? Because it doesn't fit in with worldly theology. All of a sudden the world says this world is the, the Bible teaches you this world's not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And you get excited about that and get fired up about that. You go out there in the world and say, you know something? I'm going to Bible school. You're an idiot. You're crazy. You're a fool. You need to be an engineer. You need to be a ball player. Uh, you need to be somebody. Get a college education and get a job. Be the CEO of a company. I mean, don't be called to preach and don't go to Bible school. For God's sake, don't go over there to Pensacola and get an education or go to the Bible Institute here. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's crazy. That's what people do when they can't do nothing else. You know, for the old mind, the feeble-minded, for the crazy people and stuff like that. You know what happens? It comes along and says, hey man, you got to make a living, don't you? Yes. Yeah, but I got to obey God, don't I? Amen. Well, yeah, you can obey God and make a living, you know. You know how that is. Compromise. Take it easy. Don't, don't get too crazy. Don't go to church on a Sunday night and fill up the church building. Have you looked around here tonight on a Sunday night? Amen. You say, what is that? You people are crazy. <laughs> now I guarantee you they'll stuff a living room all across this nation tonight. They'll stuff a living room full of people or they'll have a special gathering somewhere where there will be people and food and they'll come around and gather around in big ball stadiums, 80, 90, 100,000 people to watch football. They're not crazy. But you're crazy for going to church. You're crazy for carrying a Bible. You're nuts to drive over an hour to come to a church service. Well, we'll see when you get up there in eternity who's really nuts. If you don't keep your eyes on where we're headed, ladies and gentlemen, this doesn't make any sense. You cannot make any sense of what we're doing right now. There is no good reason on earth for you to be here and listen to somebody yell at you tonight. Or, or yell with you tonight. Or however you say that the right way. Come over to Zechariah chapter number 11. Uh, before you go there, come to Isaiah 56. Isaiah chapter 56. I'll give you an idea of what modern day preachers are. This is one of the things that the preachers have to outline. And it's what I call a gimme. Uh, a gimme is one of them kind of things that you hit it so close to the hole that a guy just, puts, just kicks it back to you and says that's good because there's no way you could miss it. It's within you know, two or three inches of the hole or within the leather, however you want to call it. So I'm going to give you a gimme sermon right here. And uh, the, the, uh, the sermon is supposed to be is the, the problem with uh, modern day preachers, the problem with last day's preachers, the problems with young preachers. Now watch what he shows you here. In Isaiah chapter number 56. And, and see whether or not you can recognize this, these attributes. Uh, the Bible says this in verse number 10, or in verse number 9. All ye beasts of the field come to devour, yea, all the beasts in the forest. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. 
sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are all greedy dogs which can never have enough, and they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, every one for his own gain from his quarter. Come, you say they, I will fetch wine, and we will fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow shall be this day, shall be as this day, and much more abundant. Now that's modern day preachers. They're right there in that passage and it tells you, the Lord tells you what to look out for to make sure that you don't fall into that trap. Look in uh, Jeremiah chapter 23. <laughs> 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 Jeremiah chapter 23 is hard for peacocks to bark. But we sure can scream a lot. Look in Jeremiah chapter 23. We'll pick it up verses 1 and 2. I'm just going to go over a few of these. Now this is to make you aware. Ladies and gentlemen, a preacher that doesn't tell you the hard truths, whether it's with a broken heart and a tear in his eye or not, is not somebody that has your best interest at heart. Any more than a policeman doesn't warn you before he puts you in cuffs because he's trying to tell you for your own good you need to get out of here now before you get yourself in trouble. Or a doctor. I told a young lady this afternoon, as a matter of fact, I said to her, do you realize how many people die every year because they refuse the doctor's prescriptions? The doctor says, this is what you need to take in order to get well. I, forget all the naturopath and stuff, just listen to me. There are hundreds of thousands of people that die every year because they refuse to do what the doctor says to do. Doctor tells you you need to knock off 10 pounds. You get offended and keep eating. And then you wonder why you die. It's the doctor's fault. See, I can get on, there's a couple of things you can get on around here. You get on anything to do with weight. You people get like a bunch of clams at low tide, man. You're just... It's like, move along, move along, nothing to see here. <laughs> the doctor tells you you need to knock off the sugar. Here's the typical response. Well, everybody eats sugar. Well, sugar's in everything. I don't really see a problem with sugar. What's the problem with sugar? Uh, it's causing diabetes. Well, they'll give me medicine. They don't give you medicine. They give you something your body points out naturally in order to try to control the sugar. If you're a diabetic here tonight, that's why you take insulin or you have an insulin pump. Now, some of you, it's not your fault because of sugar. It's heredity. I get all. I understand all that. Or some of you shot your pancreas out. I got no idea. But here's what I'm trying to tell you is that the doctor says, knock off the sugar. But, well, you know, it's just, a, it's just a hard to do. Okay, die. People die all the time because they won't do what the doctor says to do. Now, the question is, you're going to do what the Bible says to do or not? Some of the things in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, are not fun. My job to give you the prescription. If you don't take it, that's not my job. Then it's not my business. My job is to tell you this is what the Lord says. He's the great physician. I think he'll give you the right prescription. You don't take the prescription. It's on you. Well, preacher, what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep eating sugar and then you're going to give me a pump me full of insulin all the time. <laughs> I ain't got that much insulin. Well, I'll just live my life and keep on. Okay, you can do what you want. But sooner or later, there's a reckoning day. 
All right, look at this thing in Jeremiah. Look in verse uh, 1 and 2. I'll try to hurry here. I'm getting past my time. Uh, Woe unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep from my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, verse number 2, against the pastors that feed my people, you've scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them, and I will visit upon you the evil of your doing, saith the Lord. Now what he's talking about there is not a visitation program. He's saying after you scared, scattered them, you didn't care enough about to go get them. He said, your preaching has done nothing but run them off and run them into the ways of the world. That's not biblical separation. They're leaving for the wrong reason. He's encouraging these people to go out into the world. Come down, if you will, please, in that same passage there. Let's just jump down to verse number 13. Uh, let's see, Third, that's it. The Bible says, I have seen the folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied in Baal and caused my people of Israel to err. I have seen also the prophets of Jerusalem, a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers that none doeth return, doth return from the, his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom and inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. He's talking about preachers. They're encouraging you to sin. They're participating with you in that sin. They're one of the people. They're commonplace. Then nothing you do is wrong, according to them. Therefore saith the Lord of hosts, verse 15, concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood, and make them drink the waters of gall. From the prophets of Jerusalem, and the profaneness has gone forth in the land. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart, and not out of the mouth of the Lord. They make you vain. Yeah, they tell you you're always okay, and everything's fine about you. The finest of you is not good all the time. Amen. Every one of us has enough fleas on us to remind us of the dogs we are. Amen. You got enough scar tissue on you that if that were all to be out there, there ain't enough Botox to fill all the stuff. You say, why? You've been cut up by the world, haven't you? Some self-inflicted, isn't it? You may not have tried to kill yourself and cut your wrist or hang yourself or whatever, but you've had some self-inflicted pain and some scars on you, haven't you? Haven't you done some things with some decisions you've made that have led to some severe punishment from the Lord just because of your own stupidity? God didn't have to come down and tan your britches. Just because of the decision you made, you wound up in a bad spot, didn't you? I mean, you know, you bear in your body the marks of the Lord. I get that. But sometimes we bear in the marks of our own stupidity. You know what he says? These guys encourage you to do wrong. Now you tell me, you turn on the TV preacher, you ever get under conviction? I'm just asking you. I'm using contrast. I'm not using like and as. I'm using contrast. Black and white. Do you ever hear those guys, any one of them, put you under conviction and make you want to get out in front of the TV and ask the Lord to forgive you? You ever feel bad listening to them? They make you vain. Why, just because you're giving money to their program, you must be something special. Come on down, if you will, please, in uh, verse number 17. They say unto them that despise me, the Lord hath said, and ye shall have peace, and they shall have every one of you walketh after the imagination of his own heart. No evil shall come upon you. Well, that's not true. The Bible says you reap what you sow. Right. Do what you want to do. No evil's going to come upon you. Same-sex marriage, don't worry. The Lord, the Lord loves everybody. Continue to sin. God doesn't mean it when he says that there's a day of reckoning coming. God loves everybody. God loves those that are saved. For God so loved the world. You get in Christ, he loves you. You don't, he doesn't. 
He's angry with the wicked every day. The wrath of God abides upon them right now, this moment, before they ever die and go to hell. You say, what's a preacher supposed to do? Tell you that. To call you into account for your own sin. You can't get saved. I went to a funeral not long ago and the guy got up and just beat around the bush and beat around the bush. I mean, to the point, man, my ears were turning red. I wanted to stand up. Would you please, I was thinking about Miss Penny, would you please tell them they can't get saved unless they admit they're a sinner? Never said the word sin or sinner. Not once. In the entire funeral service. Not one time. Hell. Not once. Thousand people sitting there, an opportunity. People that deal with life and death on a daily basis has an opportunity to snatch them like a brand from the burning and never opened his stinking mouth. Hey man, you got to know you're a sinner in order to know you need to be saved. You say, why? Sin is punished in hell. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Save my soul because I'm a sinner. And I don't want to go to hell when I die. Never said a word about it. You say, preacher, what would you have said? Well, you've been to funerals I've done before. You know, when it comes to that, I'm kind about it. I don't make that the whole message. But ladies and gentlemen, you can't leave a funeral that I get a chance to preach and not know that if, you're not a, if you don't recognize you're a sinner, you can't get saved. <coughs> Preachers are damning souls all around the entire country right now. And the reason is, is they won't tell people, there's something wrong with you. You need a second birth. Your first one's no good. And they won't tell you that. You say, why? They're worried about upsetting you. I'd like to see him, Jeremiah, come along there and he'd say, would this be okay with y'all? What do y'all think? And then turn in his sermon to the ministry of religion and say, would this be okay if I say this or is this going to be politically correct or not? I can't see that. Come on down in that passage. I'll just hit some high points there if I, if I could please. Notice the Bible says in the latter days in verse number 20, you'll consider it perfectly. I have not sent these prophets. Yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. If they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. You know, he just gave you an earmark of a preacher to turn people from wickedness. Yes. To at least make an attempt to tell you, God doesn't like what you're doing. Amen. God doesn't like it when I sin. God doesn't like it when you sin. Amen. And they should at least tell them that. If they really care about you, why not trust you with enough intellect for you to make that decision on your own? That's what they're supposed to do. You can't interfere with someone's free will. You can't make them do it. But he says that you should at least told them. Verse 25, I have heard that the prophet said and prophesy lies in my name saying I have dreamed a dream. How long shall it be in the heart of the prophets and the prophesy lies? Yea, they are all prophets of deceit of their what? Their own heart. Look in verse 29. Is not my word like a what? You know, when they ask the Lord, they ask people, they said, he says uh, to the boys there, he says, uh, who do men say that I am? Some say Elijah and some say Jeremiah. You ever studied the preaching of those two guys? Yeah. And are comparing Jesus to that? Right. Sweet little Jesus, the one that says unto you, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, you make uh, people that follow you a twofold child of hell. Yeah. Right. You're murderers and you're following after your father, the devil. He was a murderer from giving and such like. That's the guy that preached the, to, the, to him. Nine times in the New Testament, Jesus tells him about hell. And a modern day preacher doesn't tell you about hell? Real good. 
It's hard to preach this stuff because it kind of sounds like I'm saying, well, I'm a real preacher because I don't do that. I'm trying to give you contrast for those of you that come from places and come from churches and you ain't heard the word hell except in a cuss word or in your car when somebody pulled out in front of you in so long you didn't even know it was a Bible term anymore. It's taken out of all your other Bibles. You say, why? It's offensive. How dare everybody think that there might be punishment for that? And then the next thing you know, you got separation from God. Uh, the Bible says this in verse number 32, I'm against them, prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, and do tell them, and cause my people to err by their lies and by their likeness. Why? Verse number 36, they perverted the words of the living God. Now, you can take and do with that whatever you want to do with that, but it sounds to me like a pretty good straight uh, ability to be able to tell who's really preaching and not. It has nothing to do with volume. doesn't have anything to do with delivery. It has to do with what's right to do. Amen. And if a preacher cares about you, he should care more about what God thinks and what you think, and it might cost him something long term. Back to 1 Thessalonians. Let's close out the passage. Now, the only way that that kind of preaching will have any impact on anybody, no matter if the individual is a great orator and has a great ability to, to describe things or whatever, is if you believe it. And here's the way you want to approach that. God said it, that settles it. But if you want it to be effective, God settled it. God said it. I believe it. Do you understand? Not that you're now the one that determines it, but if you want it to be effective in your life, if God said it, you have to believe it for it to be any good for you. God says a lot of things in the Bible and people don't believe it. And as a result, you know what happens to them? They die and go to hell. You know why they die and go to hell? They didn't believe what he said. God said it. It's settled, right? Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Is that right? But is this making sense to you at all? But you know, if the individual doesn't believe Jesus Christ came in the world to die for sinners and was buried and raised again the third day, if you don't believe that for yourself, it doesn't matter if you know it. You have to believe it in order for it to affect you. Now, when it comes to doctrines in the Bible and things like that, the only way those doctrines become life-changing is if you believe what God said. And if you don't believe it, I don't care who says it, from what pulpit, what tape, CD, MP3, out of the sky, whatever. It doesn't make any difference if you don't believe what God said. It doesn't have any effect on you at all. Amen. And preach at youth camps a lot. And I've had the privilege of doing that for a long time now. And I watch kids on a regular basis. Some of them believe and they really have a life-changing experience. They trust Jesus Christ and they go on and live their life for the Lord. And I see other ones that say, well, I believe that and I'm saved, but I'm going to do whatever I want to do. They don't believe the repercussions of what he says. They believe because God's judgment doesn't happen immediately that it must not be going to happen or God's condoning what they're doing. No. No, it just means the Lord has chosen to be gracious and merciful and long-suffering instead of taking your head off the first time you mess up. But the bottom line is, ladies and gentlemen, is preaching should put you under conviction to the point that you need to do something with it. It's called hot potato theology. And when they get up there and say what the Bible says and pitch the hot potato in, the, in your lap, you've got to do something with it. And the hard thing about that is, is when the Lord puts something down and puts it right in your lap, and now you have to believe something you just don't want to believe and act on. It's not hard for me to believe the gospel. I'm already saved. And let the Lord deal with me about, say, uh, jealousy or bitterness. 
or anger or wrath. Here's a good one for you. Worry. Y'all don't have that problem. Y'all are like, oh, I'm good with that one, man. I mean, that's one I got. Maybe bitterness a little bit, but I don't worry about nothing, you know. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, give thanks. But in everything, you struggle with that one? Everything? Well, that's what he said. We kind of get weary when it comes to that, don't we? I mean, I got plenty of sins. I don't have to worry about yours. But you know, one of the things that you got to recognize, ladies and gentlemen, is, is that when you're starting to look at everybody else, you can rest assured God's dealing with you about something you don't want to believe about yourself. You're never the problem, are you? It's never you, is it? It's always the brethren. It's always somebody else. The accident's never your fault. You were the one that got singled out and the police pulled over. You had never speeded up to that point. The first time you speeded, you got caught. I mean, the first time you did a California roll through a stop sign. And then you get popped. And you forget all those times that you broke it and got away with it. And you're saying, thank the Lord, man, you didn't catch me the other hundred times. Instead, you're like, why are you getting me? You profiling me? What's wrong with you? You're a Christian, aren't you? Good. The Lord just told you you need to tune up your driving. You're going to wind up dead or kill somebody. I know you don't like that. See, you're making my point. I don't even have to make the point. You're making my point. That hot potato hits you in the lap. And now you're mad. God, why'd you let this guy stop me? The Lord said, I'm trying to save your life, you fool. Sometimes going to jail is a good thing. You say, why? It'll stop you in your tracks and make you realize there's repercussions and you may have to live with that the rest of your life. But you know what? That Blu-ray, DVD, MP3 playing in your background is like, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to do that again. I don't want to do that again. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes sickness is good enough to slow you down. Sometimes when you get sick and there's nobody but you and God to deal with things, you know what happened? God will deal with you on that sick bed and teach you things and get you to a point where you can't do everything you thought you could do. And the Lord said, I want to deal with you. Well, Lord, how you make me sick? I got this to do. I got that to do. I got to go here. I got to go there. I got to get this. I got to get that. I got to do The Lord said, I need you to slow down so I can talk to you. You fixing to have a heart attack or a stroke. You're going to be chewing on your tongue. You say, what happens? You got to have the belief in what he says. And if you don't, it doesn't do you any good at all. You can be under the most scathing preaching you've ever heard in your life. And I've heard some. But if your heart ain't right, man, all you're doing is you're gritting your teeth and putting up your fist. And who does he think he is saying that to me? And you're ready to fight. Boy, sister so-and-so needs to be down there and brother so-and-so needs to be down there. And I wish so-and-so was here and I'm going to get them a copy and mail it to them anonymously. Uh, they, they really need this. And the Lord's like, yeah, somebody needs that. Miss Myrna, I think that van is here for you. But at any rate, you need, to, you need to consider this, ladies and gentlemen. When he says effectually worketh in you that believe, if you want God's word that you claim to believe... King James 1611, the Bible that's in your lap, it only is effectual if you believe it. And if you don't believe it, even after salvation, it doesn't do you any good at all.
no different than reading the Koran. It only benefits you if you take it to heart. Do you hear me? You got to be willing to say, it's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. You want to have a revival meeting around here? The old preacher used to say this. He said, if you really want to have a revival meeting, he said, the way you do it is, is you stand up in a circle and you, I mean, you stand up and you draw a circle around yourself and you say, Lord, let me have a revival and I'm not going to leave the circle until I do. The revival starts with me, not with them, him and her and the church down the street. I want that book to have an effect on me. Amen. You know what? I watched that old preacher. He used to say it all the time. You ever wonder, 94, I guess it was, when he passed on. Do you ever look at him real close? He's up there in his 90s. He looks like he's 70. You know what he would always say? He said, that's from hours and hours and hours of reading that. He'd tell the ladies in here, it's better than Botox. You spend hours reading the book. You know what to do? It'd give you a facelift. Be good for some of you men to do that too, by the way. <laughs> some of you make a face and make an undertaker cry. <coughs> God bless your wife. She must be blind in one eye and can't see out of the other one's all I can figure. I met a fellow a few weeks ago and I, he said, man, it's a real shame about your wife. And I said, what is that? He said, where's her seeing eye dog? I said, what do you mean? He said, she had to have been blind when she married you. <laughs> Maybe so. But ladies and gentlemen, let me say this to you, and I'm going to close for tonight. Sometimes that Bible loses its effect on us as Bible believers. The sheen gets knocked off of it a little bit. And those of us that were raised and reared on hard, you know, biscuit sopping, slobbering, sweating, you know, red as a Q-tip, preaching, all of a sudden we, we're, we're kind of gotten sophisticated and when that chicken comes home and lands on our, roost, on our roof and begins to crow, boy, we're just like Peter. Not so, Lord. Not me. Though all else, not me. Never me, Lord. And it loses its effect. That verse right there is written not just for salvation, ladies and gentlemen. That verse right there is written to you that when a preacher preaches and he gives you what the book says, it only has an impact on you if you believe what was said. And otherwise, your Christian life's a flop. You haven't ever found that God has ways of finding out those little idiosyncrasies that nobody else knows about, has a way of pointing them out. <laughs> and you're like, Lord, I mean, that's such a minor thing compared to what all these other people are doing. Why are you picking on me? You ever been in a church service and I'm done where the preaching's going on and all of a sudden you feel like the Holy Spirit's tagging you and just thumping you in the heart? I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. You know what the natural response is? You get mad at the preacher. You get mad at your wife because you think the wife called the preacher. You get mad at your husband because you think your husband called the preacher. Or you're thinking the room's bugged. It is. The Holy Spirit's in there, and you know what he's saying? Hey, bud. Hey, bud. It only works if you believe it. Heavenly Father, I pray.